All right, well, good morning, everyone. <laughs> it's great to be with you again today. Um, as Andrew said, my name is Viv, and I'm the Assistant Minister here at St Mark's. Uh, Andrew has already encouraged you to have your Bible with you, open to this passage at Acts chapter 13, because I'm going to refer to verses in it which won't appear on, up on the screen, so it'll help you to follow along. So we find actually, we find ourselves in power struggles all the time, I think. Um, we're going to be talking about power struggles today. Sometimes they can be pretty subtle, um, like we might not even notice that we're, that we're in a power struggle with someone, but other times they are so obvious and so intense and they're really uncomfortable, aren't they? There's so much anguish and turmoil as we wrestle with emotional fallout and try to figure out a way through. And they're painful for everyone involved. Uh, they might be um, power struggles in intimate relationships with people, in our workplaces, amongst our friends and family, or even of a legal nature. And power struggles also have a spiritual dimension as well, don't they? Sometimes they can really feel like battles of the soul. At the moment, I think a lot of us are wrestling with battles like that. Battles for our emotional and mental health, especially. Um, at the moment, um, battles against depression and anxiety. Battles over our sense of our identity, over our sexuality. Um, maybe over our approach to food and our body image. Or battles with addictions. And then there are also long-standing battles that some of us might face every day. Um, things caused from past trauma or regret, from bereavement, from loss or betrayal. And then there's another dimension to power struggles in relation to loved ones. Perhaps we might feel burdened for people and we're longing for them to come to flourish in life and come to know Jesus. So power struggles are really battles of the soul because they force us to figure out more clearly who we are, what we stand for and what we want. And in that whole process, power struggles invite us to find our voice, to find a voice that's clear, that's real and honest, and that's powerful to affect change and even bring victory. So today as we explore this passage, I want you to understand through this your voice as a person of the Spirit and to glimpse the truth and the power of being people of the Spirit who are people of the Word. Because here in Acts 13, we see a power struggle between different voices. One voice is the Word of God, the Gospel, spoken and proclaimed by Paul and Barnabas. The other voice is that of Elimas, or Bar-Jesus, a Jewish sorcerer. And as we read the story, the tension is created around which voice and whose words are going to ultimately triumph. And we know that behind this battle of voices is a battle between the power of the Holy Spirit in Paul and Barnabas and a dark power that opposes the light of the truth and so opposes God. And what's at stake in this power struggle is the faith of an influential man and the faith of the people of this region in Cyprus. So let's get into this story. At the start of this chapter, the Holy Spirit sets apart Paul and Barnabas for a new mission. The Holy Spirit here is the initiating agent. He's the driving force behind it and behind this whole story. Notice that this occurs 
um, within the context of worship. So mission is always birthed and propelled by worship. So the church at Antioch, after having Paul and Barnabas um, ministry for only about a year, they respond to that call of the Spirit by blessing them and sending them out. So Paul and Barnabas sail over to Cyprus and we're told in verse 5 that they begin proclaiming the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. So this was their task. They were prophets and teachers of the word, the logos of God. Now we might jump to thinking from our context that they were teaching a written word like the scriptures that we have today. But actually the word that they were proclaiming was an oral word, a word of testimony about Jesus, about who he was, what he had done and the salvation that he had enabled. It was the word of the gospel and it was a testimony about how Jesus had transformed their own lives. I don't know if you've ever thought about your testimony as the word of God. And just as Jesus modelled ministering first to the Jew and then to others, so Paul and Barnabas follow suit. And it was probably only in the synagogues that they would have been able to actually open um, and read from the Old Testament texts. Uh, And interestingly, at this point, we're not told about the result of their proclamation in this part of Cyprus. Did people respond positively? Or um, were they resistant? We don't know. But the story moves us on as Paul and Cyprus then travel to Paphos on the west coast of Cyprus. And it's here that they speak for God, but who is actually ultimately a deceiver. This bar Jesus also happens to work for the most powerful man of the region, the Roman governor, Sergius Paulus. And bar Jesus was one of his attendants. Sergius Paulus was someone who, as we are told in verse 7, wanted to hear and understand the word of God. He's somehow already made the connection between And so he sends for Paul and Barnabas because he wanted to hear what God was saying to him. There was a personal heart and soul longing to hear God. And so he acts on the opportunity to go deeper and learn more. How awesome is it to think that there are people around us, like Sergius, who don't yet know Jesus, but desire to know God. They are open and longing. And then the power struggle begins. This bar Jesus, who is also called Alimas, opposes the words of Paul and Barnabas and tries to turn the governor from the faith. Alimas was thwarting and even deliberately opposing Sergius's ability to receive the word. So let me ask you this. Are you someone like Sergius who is longing to hear and understand the word, but there are obstacles coming up for you? What are those things or those voices that are hindering you and your faith? that are making it hard for you to connect with God's word. When I was studying at uni, um, I remember there was just this sense of clear opposition to Christian thought. I remember reading it, I remember lecturers saying it, and there was a pervading sense through the whole academic culture that it was irrational to believe in God and pursue deep knowledge of him. These kinds of voices can be in our workplace culture, among our family and friends, 
And they might even be niggling doubts, even within ourselves. What kinds of voices are opposing your faith journey right now? Be aware and alert to them. And be encouraged that God sees your heart. Because people of the Spirit are lovers of the Word. If you're hungry for the Word and hungry to connect with God through it, don't give up seeking understanding. Keep pursuing it. Because God's Word is the Word of life. It's the Word of truth. It's the message of salvation. It's the message of reconciliation. It's the message of the cross and the power of God. God's Word endures forever. It's the extension of the divine personality, and it's invested with divine authority. So if you want these things in your life, if you want life and truth and salvation and harmony with other people and the power of God, then love and seek the word of God. Don't let opposition and hindrances get in the way. Now let's look more closely at Alimas we can see that he's hardened his heart towards God. As with any power struggle, the antagonist always fears losing something. And in this case, I think Elimas has a lot to lose. He could lose his sway and influence over the governor, Sergius. He could lose his influence and his favor with Rome. And therefore, he could lose his access to the power, the wealth, and the fame that he's currently enjoying. People who like the way the world works for them without Jesus want to keep it that way. So rather than face up to the state of his own heart, he deliberately tries to turn other people away from faith and trusting God. Let's just consider Alimas in relation to ourselves for a moment. Because I think like Alimas, we too can sometimes harbour hardness of heart or cynicism towards the word of God, towards faith. Maybe, maybe because uh, you haven't been touched by it personally or perhaps you've had an experience that has turned you from God's word and turned you away from God himself. Maybe it's made it hard for you to trust God's word and whether you know it or not, maybe your hurt that you carry or the anger that comes from that hurt is actually opposing the work of God in your own life and even in the lives of others around you. So maybe Alimas serves as a warning for where we could end up. Because look at how Paul describes the state of Alimas's heart in verse 10. He says, You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? I mean, what a judgment. Elimus's hardness of heart has actually led him to become someone who is now subject to the devil and an enemy of God, who, rather than loving what is right and good, actually perverts it, who has no more seed of honesty or integrity left in his heart, but is bent on lies and deception, who is an obstacle to grace and a hindrance to the gospel. If this serves as a warning, then there is also an invitation. 
If you're struggling with hardness of heart or cynicism towards God or his word, can I encourage you to open your heart to him again? Let his words in. Let the gospel of Jesus' mercy and forgiveness and gentleness and healing, let it into your heart again. No matter how far that you feel that you've strayed, it's never too far from his forgiving embrace. Trust Jesus' words when he says, if you turn, I will heal you. Or even if you know that the fault lies with someone else, don't let your heart be the victim of someone else's evil. Let God's word in and let it begin to heal you. Because one thing we learn here is that people of the spirit are people who trust the word, who trust it enough to submit to it to let it be Lord of their life. So in this story, we have Paul and Barnabas trying to minister God's word to Sergius. We have Alimas representing, basically representing Satan's opposition, really, who is directly opposing the word of God. And we have Sergius' faith on the line. How's the spirit going to respond to this? How's the spirit of God going to engage in this power struggle? Well, he uses his vessel on the ground, the Apostle Paul. And so in verse 9, we read that Paul is filled with the Spirit and given spiritual clarity about the state of Alimus's heart and his form of opposition. I don't know, it might have been like a gift of being able to discern spirits in that moment or a clarity about the spiritual reality here. And it seems that the Spirit also gives Paul a boldness to speak. So like a prophetic word of authority, of truth and judgment, as if God himself was speaking. And then Paul speaks a verdict of temporary blindness on Elymas. So just as it says in Isaiah 55:11 that God's words do not return to him unfulfilled, but perform, performs his purpose and fulfills the mission he sent it out to accomplish. So the Holy Spirit enacts Paul's words of judgment on Elymas. Perhaps Paul saw his old self in Elymas. Perhaps he was recalling his own experience of once being spiritually blind and bent on destroying the gospel and then being blinded by the light of Jesus on the road to Damascus. And maybe Paul hoped that this would make Elymas reflect on where God's power and truth actually reside and force Elymas to respond to the one true God. But in any case, Paul calls out his opposition and collapses the operations of Alimas back on himself. Just as Alimas had tried to blind the faith of others, he will be made blind for a season and will need others to lead him around. And then in verse 12, we read, When the proconsul saw what happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. He saw the power of God at work through Paul's words and through his teaching, and he believed. God's power showed up. It floored the opposition, and it amazed the seeker. See, the Spirit and the Word here are inseparable, and they work together to achieve God's will. God is absolutely present in his Word, 
and through the voice of his servant Paul. And what I love here is how God makes it clear that the Holy Spirit is never victim to opposition. The word of God is never victim to opposition. Remember earlier when I asked you to think about how you understand your voice as a person of the Spirit. If we look at Paul and what we can learn from his voice, we see that he didn't cower when faced with opposition, but he opened himself to the presence and the power of the Spirit in that moment. And he used what the Spirit gave him, and he had the willingness and the courage to boldly speak forth the insight and the word of the Spirit to be the voice of God. So like Paul, as people of the Spirit, we are speakers and proclaimers of the word. Just as Paul spoke prophetically by the Spirit into that situation, we too are called and invited to be prophets in our times. So what do I mean when I say that? Well, prophecy is simply Spirit-inspired speech from God to people. Listen to this from Revelation 19.10, which says, The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So even as we share our testimony, our story of Jesus, we are actually exercising a prophetic voice. And as we share the message of Jesus and the gospel, we are communicating God's word to the world. And we are bringing God's word to bear in our world. I believe that the Holy Spirit has endowed within all of us a powerful prophetic potential. That as people of the Spirit, we have a voice that God wants to invest with, with his authority and with his presence and his power. A voice that can speak forth change into our world. A prophetic voice that can overcome spiritual opposition that can bring salvation and healing, that can speak truth into circumstances of confusion and darkness, that can bring liberation out of painful pasts, out of addictions and habitual sins. But as ordinary people, how do we get there? Let me offer a couple of ideas that are like steps towards this. First, we've got to immerse ourselves in the Word, in the Bible. We've got to study it, study it with other people and talk about it with others. And as you do that, practice listening to what the word is speaking into your own life and listening for how the word is speaking into others' lives. And then start practicing giving voice to that. Offer it to someone as something that they might want to pray about or think about. But do it with an openness of learning and um, being okay with missing the mark sometimes, because that's okay. And you might even like to um, read some books about um, the theology of the Word of God. I was so empowered and inspired when I started reading into this. So if you'd like direction in that, please get in touch with me or Jerome or Andrew, and we could point you towards some good books and some good reading. Secondly, practice praying scripture over your life, over those battles those spiritual battles that you're facing and over the lives of the people that you're praying for. 
Sometimes it's helpful to write out those verses, have them accessible when you're praying, like in a prayer journal or on your mirror. And as you pray the word, you're speaking the word of God over that situation, which is powerful and effective. And I think that's essentially like exercising the sword of the spirit from Ephesians 6. So learn how to use it. And finally, practice sharing your testimony and talking about what God has done in your life. You might not feel ready (laughs) to share it with others at the moment, but start practicing it. Start practicing it out loud or write it out and maybe edit it down so that it just um, takes a couple of minutes to share. And practice it so that you learn to share it without your notes. (laughs) And as you do this, you're learning to give voice to who Jesus is, to what he's done and how he's met you in your life. For in your story is the gospel. In your story is the word of God, the word of life, the word of salvation and the word of hope. So let me close by reminding us that as people of the spirit, we are lovers of the word. We trust the word and we speak the word. And because of that, we have a voice in our world. We have a voice in our power struggles. A voice that's filled with the potential of God's active presence and power and of Jesus' life-changing gospel. Amen. So let me pray for us now. Jesus, the word of God, help us to realise the voice that you have given us, a voice through which you speak and act today. Help us grow as people of the spirit who love and trust your word and have the courage to speak it out. And we pray that as we learn to step out in this more and more, that others will see your power, your wonderful grace, and be amazed at your teaching and believe. In your powerful name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.